I've got a question. This is to see how well you know your day. How many advertisements do you think you see a day? 70. Thousands. Hundreds. Ten. So, the statistics would say in the average urban context, you would see 4,000 advertisements a day. 4,000. 28,000 a week, over 100,000 a month, over 1.3 million a year. Advertisements all telling you to accumulate stuff and to achieve stuff. How on earth do we cope with that? How on earth do we cope with that? If you are in a marketing job, you can infiltrate and change everything and tell people to get more rest. It would be really, really helpful. We're in our apprenticeship series and what it means to be an apprentice to Jesus and what it means to live a life that we have been designed to live because Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. But most of us would say, all right, maybe we've got across the line and we trust in Jesus, but my life probably falls short of being life to the full. We may have found life in God and we're somewhere in this gap between life in God and life to the full. That would be most of us in this room, I would guess. And so we got to understand, well, if there is life to the full and life in abundance, how do we get to that? And that's this very series that we're going through, which is the, the spine of this year, the basis of this year, what it means to be an apprentice, what it means to be a disciple, because Jesus invites us into that life. He says, come and follow me. And as we follow him, we receive the life that God intended for us to receive. And yet we know we live in a world where we receive 4,000 on average advertisements a day come, into our, come across our eyes and into our minds that we have to try and process what is life to the full. Because if I were to follow every advertisement, once I would, one, I would be bankrupt, and two, I would be able to accumulate all of that stuff. Let's just say I had an endless bank vault of cash. I would do that, but I think all of us would know that even if we satisfied today's desire of 4,000 advertisements, we would probably still not feel 100% like we're living life to the full. I think we would all have enough knowledge. This morning, I wanted to get up. I wanted to get up. I wanted to get up early before my seven, I'm going to call them arrows or chaos monsters or whatever got up so that I could just have some uninterrupted time with God. I wanted to get up because I wanted to come and contribute to your flourishing. You see, my Sunday is your Monday, and so uh, I rest yesterday, and today is a work day for me. But I wanted to come and contribute to make your lives better. That's my desire this morning. I think you have all gathered here because you love to worship God, and you love to know His words so that you can be transformed into Christ's likeness and take another step into the things that God has called you towards. See, I woke up with all sorts of desires this morning, and it's those desires that actually got me out of bed. You get out of bed every morning because you have desires. But here's the thing about desire, is when it is at the steering wheel, when desire is at the steering wheel, we are in trouble. When we are at the steering wheel, being able to handle our desires, then we're in a much better space. 
But what happens as we get bombarded with desire, 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 because let's face it, every advertisement, and advertisement speaks for a whole lot of things, we start to get ourselves, that thing starts to get fed. And uh, we see in Ecclesiastes that uh, the eye is not satisfied with seeing. That's what the wisdom writer said. The eye is not satisfied with seeing. Uh, more recently, uh, a musician by the name of Mick Jagger wrote, I can't get no satisfaction. Thomas Aquinas, uh, a philosopher and theologian, asked the question, what will satisfy desire? What will satisfy desire? And his conclusion was this, everything. Only when we have everything will we be satisfied. Carl Rayner says this, and if we can put up the graphic. In the torment of the insufficiency of everything attainable, we learn that ultimately in this world, there is no finished symphony. What that means is this. I think like load shedding could be a good example. You can be listening to a song, and just as it gets to the high point, it cuts off, and you're left feeling dissatisfied. That is the human condition, left feeling dissatisfied, because desires are put in us by God, but desires are infinite, because nothing can satisfy it, or in terms of Thomas Aquinas, only once we have everything, once we have eaten at every restaurant in Durban, once we have gone into every country and visited every beautiful spot, once we have had access to every uh, sexual partner, once we have access to, this is what desire is. Only once we have everything will we be satisfied, but we know that this side of heaven, that is unattainable and in some regards unholy. So we got to live in this world where like an unfinished symphony, which causes the human heart to be restless, because when you have infinite desires, but we live in a very finite body and finite mind and finite world, how does an infinite desire live in a finite space? It doesn't, which results in the permanent human condition being restless. We are restless. We are restless. The question then becomes, how do we live with restlessness? How do we live with restlessness? You see, if we cannot understand at the very depths of who we are that that is what we're trying to deal with, we will try to satisfy ourselves with all sorts of things as opposed to getting to the root of our problem. You see, if satisfying it is just not an option, which it isn't, then how do we live with it? You see, there are entire religions centered on this, country, uh, th on this question. Buddhism and others would say, detach from your desire. Secularism would say, do what you want whenever you want. Jesus would say, put your desire in its proper place on God. One of the most famous lines from Augustine, this was a man from Africa who, funny enough, has had one of the deepest and most profound influences on Western civilization, said this, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, 
and our heart is restless until it finds rest in thee. More recently, Delos Willard said this, desire is infinite partly because we were made by God, made for God, made to need God, and made to run to God. We can be satisfied only by one who is infinite, eternal, and able to supply all our needs. We are only at home in God. When we fall away from God, the desire for the infinite remains, but it is displaced upon things that will certainly lead to destruction. See, the default setting of the human heart and the human condition post the Garden of Eden, which was once when sin, sin entered, is not atheism, which is against God, but idolatry, which is misplaced desire, misplaced worship. There is no atheist. There is only an idolater. Ultimately, nothing in this life apart from God will be able to satisfy our desire. I want to read a quote that just puts context to the 4,000 advertisements, and it it's kind of has shaped Western civilization, which would be largely our founding block in terms of how we live in urban Durban at this time. And it comes from a guy called Paul Mazur of the Lehman Brothers. The Lehman Brothers was a big financial institution at its heyday. It was the fourth largest financial services uh, company globally. And after World War II, what happened was there were a whole bunch of empty factories that had been set up to supply war needs. But now there were empty factories and a whole bunch of unemployed people. And this is what came out of the Lehman Brothers, out of this guy, Paul Mazza. This was quoted, a direct quote to him. We must shift America from a needs to a desire culture. People must be trained to desire, to want new things, even before the old had been entirely consumed. We must shape a new mentality in America. Man's desires must overshadow his needs. This was in, 19, in the late 1940s. And the birth of consumerism and the birth of a business practice called planned obsolescence where you are, you, you're designing the iPhone, but you're designing for it to break in three years' time so that you need another one. And an entire, we stand in 2020, and an entire economy is built on spending money on things that we don't need. A quote from John Mark Homer. When our innate human restlessness collides with the digital age and a culture of accomplishment and accumulation, the result is an epidemic of emotional unhealth and spiritual death. Hang with me. I know I'm making you pretty depressed right now. It gets better. I do have some good news for you. But it's coming in a minute or two. So hang in there. I just want to highlight the, the condition we live in because I think sometimes we don't give attention to the condition we live in and therefore we don't see the need for a great savior. So psychologists are now diagnosing people with something called hurry sickness. It's a real thing. Defined as this, a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness and it was first diagnosed by a, a psychologist called Mayer Friedman, who described it as this, a continuous struggle and unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things or participate in more and more events in less and less time. Doctors are calling this a Western disease. Remember, spiritual formation is not a Christ thing, it is a human thing. We are all having our spirits formed. 
intentionally or unintentionally, toward Christ or away from Him. We have the choice as to where we position ourselves in this. I know there are a lot of quotes here, but you know, I've tried to rework some of these quotes so that I can say them, but the reality is geniuses just say them better. And I do not profess to be a genius. A.J. Swoboda says this, Our time-saving devices, technological conveniences, and cheap mobility have seemingly made life much easier and interconnected. As a result, we have more information at our fingertips than anyone in history. Yet with all of this progress, we are ominously dissatisfied in bowing at these sacred altars of hyperactivity, progress, and technological compulsivity. I know these are big words. Our souls increasingly pant for meaning and value and truth as they wither away exhausted, frazzled, displeased, and ever on edge. Who feels like that? Exhausted, frazzled, ever on edge. The result is a hollow culture that in Paul's words is ever learning but never able to come to a knowledge of truth. We see that in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Our bodies wear ragged. Our spirits thirst. We have an inability to simply sit still and be. I've chatted to a number of you. And in your incredible honesty, you've come to me to say, Rich, when we were talking about silence and solitude, I tried it, I found it, the words they used, impossible. I cannot sit still. This is our condition. As we drown ourselves in a 24-7 living, we seem to be able to do anything but quench our true thirst for the life of God. We have become perhaps the most emotionally exhausted, psychologically overworked, spiritually malnourished people in history. This is what the clever people are saying of us as a generation. We need to pay attention. We need to pay attention. I know I've probably left you feeling a bit depleted, but there is good news. Or in the words of Jesus, there is gospel. There is gospel. Gospel means good news. Jesus understood the human condition of an infinite desire because the desire we are made in the image of God. We are made in the image of an infinite God. Therefore, it's not about, it's not about trying to, like Buddhism, separate ourselves from desire. Not at all. Our desire is God-given. It's God-created, and therefore in our infinite desire, but yet in our finite bodies, we will be restless. God is not caught unaware of that. And all He says is that there is a solution for you. There is a solution. And we have to put our desire onto God, and we go, okay, well, God, how do we do that? How do we do that? In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30, it says this, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Who does not love the sound of those words? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Some of us like the sound of those words, but learning from others we battle to do. 
For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Who doesn't desire for their life to have an easy yoke and a light burden? I do not even need to ask you that question. Because if your answer was different to that, you'd probably need to be checked into a psych facility. All of us want that. What is Jesus offering us? Eugene Peterson says that same, that same passage, Matthew chapter 11, 28 to 30, uh, in the message. So it's just used different language, and I think it can be quite helpful for us. He asks, he says this, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. Oh, God, I love that, but I don't have time to come away with you. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Can, can we run? I've got an appointment to get to. And work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. See, Jesus' invitation to all of us is grounded in His rest. And it is available to all of us. You see, for Jesus, bearing the fruit of love, joy, and peace is not about ambition, but it's about abiding in the Father. We've spoken about that over the last couple of weeks Here's a statement which might catch us a little bit. You see, if we break off that restful connection to the Father through sin, most of us get that. Or hurry, most of us don't get that. Either way, the result is the same. We are cut off from God and we bear no fruit. I'm not talking about salvation. If our trust is in Jesus, we get to be with our Father. But this life of abundance, both sin and hurry, can land us in the same place where we don't get to take hold of what Jesus has designed us to be, the life that he has called us to. In the place of love, joy, and peace, we get burnout, compromise, and exhaustion. So many of us, when we try to take rest, we only do it if we were to take a, a cell phone battery bar because most of us understand that. We wait for it to get into the red before we do anything about it. And then we put God on a clock and we say, actually, I've, I, I don't have enough time to get fully recharged. And so we just keep going from 10% to 30%, from 10% to 40%, from 10% to 30%. And we get more and more and more exhausted as we battle to live at the 90% and above where we all know actually that's where the grace for love, peace, and joy comes. And so we're denying ourselves the ability to walk into the fullness of the abundant life of God. See, without rest, we cannot be the people Jesus has in mind and has on offer. And it's why rest is so essential to our apprenticeship, to our discipleship, with Jesus. How do you view sleep and rest and margin? Do you view it as a waste of time or do you view it as essential to your journey with Jesus? Jesus says that we should be known by our love for one another. Now, I'm not sure about you, 
but I know that I am far more easily able to love when my tank is full, when I'm emotionally healthy, when I'm physically healthy, when I'm rested. When I am not, things irritate me a whole lot more. I'm willing to bet that I'm not alone in that. And so if we should be known by our love, that's what the scriptures say, for one another, we need to be putting ourselves into a position of being able to execute on that to the best of our ability. Is there a practice from the life and teachings of Jesus that work against the cancerous restlessness of our condition and our culture that we may tap into rest for our soul? There is, and it's called the Sabbath. And so today, we are looking at what it means to Sabbath. What it means to find rest for our souls in God. And it's a word that has largely been forgotten in how to be practiced by the church, let alone people outside of the church. Matthew chapter 12, verse 1 goes on. And so Matthew chapter 11, 28 to 30, Jesus says, Come and enter into my rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And uh, remember that the scriptures were written without all those chapter headings. That's come later just for our reference sake. And Jesus goes straight into giving two examples on Sabbath rest. So he talks about come and enter my rest, the Sabbath looks like. And so if we want to understand what it means to enter into the rest of God, Jesus goes straight to the Sabbath. And this is the invite that he gives to us today. You can deal with the restlessness of your human condition which is actually given by God because he's the only one that's infinite, an infinite desire in your finite body, you can deal with it through the Sabbath. Commandment number four of the Ten Commandments says this, remember the Sabbath, obey the Sabbath. And yes, we live in, in a, a post-Jesus, post-Jesus, Jesus was before and he is and he's, after his time on earth and his death and his, his, death and his resurrection and and so the law is not, but, but these, are, these are moral things. Why did we need to, why did he say remember the Sabbath? Because humans, we forget. God puts the Ten Commandments in place, not as, as law in the sense of, oh, well, we're free from that from grace. No, he says, do not murder. That's a good one to follow. He says, don't worship other gods other than me. No, that's a good one to follow. Don't commit adultery. That's a good one to follow. These, these are things that are helpful for life. And he says, don't forget the Sabbath. Why? Because we're going to get so consumed and caught up in accomplishment and accumulation that we're going to forget what it means to Sabbath, which means our souls are going to become un or rest. They're going to become restless. And we're not going to know how to deal with life and we're not going to live in the fullness of what God has for us. Hebrews chapter 4, and, I, and I'm going to fly through this because it's a, Hebrews is a, is a tough book to to look at in the sense that we are not first century Jews. But it's written to them. And so I'm going to highlight one or two things. I, I am going to fly through this, but there, is, there are some important, you'll, you'll get the gist of it as we go. Is that okay? If you don't understand it, don't worry about it. Uh, you'll get the, get the thread. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, so we've got to know that we can still have access to rest. Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. I'm not going to ask by show of hands who has fallen short of entering into the rest of God. 
For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard, this is talking of Israel, was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we have believed, enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger that they shall never enter my rest. So disobeying, disobeying the Sabbath, disobeying that kind of leads to us being restless. That's what the author is saying. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he was, he was spoken about, he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. If you ever are unable to kind of know where it says it in the Bible, you're in good company. Even one of the scripture writers didn't know where it was said in the Bible. Just for somewhere it is said. It happens to be in Genesis, but that's okay. It happens to be Genesis chapter 1 and 2. But he... For somewhere, he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works, like the creation account. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when... A long time later, he spoke through David in the passage already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not burden, do, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, so what he's saying is, if Joshua, if, if the rest was leading Israel into the promised land, if that was the sum total of what God meant by rest, then God would not have spoken later about another day. So that was not the accomplishment. We've got to understand that. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from His. Are we greater than God that we do not think that we need rest? Let us therefore make every effort, every effort to enter into that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. This is a pay attention passage. Pay attention to how we're living. Therefore, make every effort to enter that rest. You see, it's one thing to hear that Jesus has rest for you, but it's a whole other thing to obey and experience the rest has for you. Here's the reality. Some of you, not all of you, will enter into that rest. All of us have been invited, but only some of us who will put our trust in God that we can stop and put our work to rest and put our desire on Him Himself. Only those that are prepared to do that, who are prepared to put their phones aside, their emails aside, their work aside, who prepare to put their earthly desires aside and put their desire on Him, only those will enter into the rest. Everyone's invited, but only, those, only some will fully enter into that. My desire is that all of us here would be those that enter into His rest. See, Sabbath is more than just a day. It's a spirit of restfulness that comes as a result of living in God's presence all week long. What would most characterize you as you look through this list? Would your life be defined as having margin or would it be defined as busy? Would it be defined as slowness or as hurry? Would it be defined as quiet or noise? 
deep relationships, meaningful relationships, or isolation? Time alone or crowds? Delight or distraction? Enjoyment or envy? Clarity or confusion? About purpose? About gratitude or greed? Contentment or discontentment? Trust or anxiety? Working from love or working for love? Working as contribution to humanity or working as accumulation and accomplishment? Which most describes you? Here's the invite. Today, I'm not here to point a finger if you fall into the restlessness state. I'm here to say Jesus gives you an invite to say that it can change. It can change and you can become restful. You can enter into his rest. But it means following Jesus and it means following the practices of Jesus because he says, if you want my way, if you want an easy yoke and a light burden or whatever it is, easy burden, light yoke, if you want that, you have to follow me and you have to follow what I do. And there is a day, there is a Sabbath day that I take and I do it to connect with my Father in heaven. This is Jesus speaking. And so if you want to move from restlessness to restfulness, you have to do what I do. Are you going to do it? You see, one of the key tasks in our apprenticeship to Jesus is to find the gratitude toward God for your life today. Not what it, not what it will be when you qualify, not what it will be when you buy a home, not what it will be when you retire, not what it will be tomorrow, but what it will be today. Walter Brueggemann says this, he's a theologian, he says, people who practice the Sabbath live all seven days differently. One day changes all seven days. So, the Sabbath is more than a day, but it's not less than. Does that make sense to you? Sabbath is more than a day, but it's not less than. And so what is our practice? What is our practice? Okay, so here's the deal. Morality is a command. Human flourishing and life to the full is an invite. So morality is like, do not murder. Do not commit adultery. If you do that, the elders are going to come around you and help you to take your next step. If you do not take the Sabbath, that is not a moral issue. But we're going to push pretty hard at it because we feel like we understand what it means to live life to the full. And we believe that from the Scriptures, this is what it requires. So we are going to push you pretty hard towards the Sabbath, but it's not a moral issue. It does not affect your salvation. But our desire is that all of us would enter into that rest. So where, what does the practice look like? So here we go. Mark out a 24-hour time period to rest and to worship. A 24-hour time period. There are common variations on the Sabbath. So the traditional Jewish Sabbath is from 20 minutes before sunset on a Friday night to 20 minutes before sunset on a Saturday. That's what uh, the traditional Jewish Sabbath is. That's the Sabbath that we would take as a family because Sunday is a work day for me, a work day for us. Most commonly, it would be the Lord's Day Sabbath, which would be probably all of, most of your Sabbath, which is a Sunday, the full day from when you wake up in the morning to when you go to bed at night. Or some of you work on weekends and there's an inconsistent rhythm and you would take one in some time in the week and just take a 24-hour period out. There is, sci there is human science and psychology behind 24 hours, friends. 
You can chat to the psychologist. You can do the research. I'm not going to do it for the sake of time. But there is a reason for 24 hours. God knows his creation. He knows how much rest we need and what happens at what hour in order for us to be able to recuperate and recover. And so we're going to look at that. There are some things that are traditionally associated. So in Jewish history, I, I, we're not becoming a Jewish segment here, okay? But, but God spoke to his people and has carried some things through as we have come to walk with Jesus uh, in his, uh, under, his, under his hand. And so traditionally, there are 12 activities that mark Sabbath practice. And so here, here they are. Now, this is not a to-do list. Okay, I'm an A-type personality, and Jax mocks me all the time. I get up on my day off, and I'm like, right, I'm doing this so I can ticket. I'm doing this so I can ticket. I'm, doing, I'm accomplishing my day off, which totally defeats the object of a day off. So if you are like me, this is not a to-do list. But if it's in our mind, then maybe there are some of these things when we're just worshiping God and considering what the day can hold for us, these are some of the things that we could do. Is that all right? Singing, blessing the children, eating a meal. So lighting the candles, that comes from uh, the, the instruction from Exodus and Deuteronomy. I, I won't go into all of that now. Gratitude, worshiping with your community. Uh, friends, I cannot stress enough the importance of what we're doing here today. To restfulness for your soul. Napping, napping. If you're able, I encourage that to be a seven-day-a-week practice. <laughs> Making love if you're married. Reading, spending time alone with God, walking, spending time with family and friends. These were the traditional, the traditional elements of Sabbath. But I want to say this is not legalism. This is not a list of things to accomplish. It's, these are just some things that we can wake up and we can give consideration to. Here's the problem. See, most people don't enter into the Sabbath because they're too lazy. It's hard work. Make every effort, the Hebrews writer says, to enter into the Sabbath. It's hard work to stop. It takes preparation to stop. It means making sure that all your emails are up to date to stop for 24 hours. It makes sure that everything is organized to stop. It makes, it's hard work. But as Walter Brueggemann said, those that live by the Sabbath changes, affects their whole seven days. They live differently for their, the rest of their seven days. You see, we have to say no to some things in order for us to say yes to the Father's presence. Are we those that will enter into the rest that is given to us? Friends, we need to understand that rest is a, is a weapon. It's really hard to tempt people that are healthy, happy, and well-rested. It's really easy to tempt people that are the opposite of that. We must arrange our lives so sin no longer looks good to us. We need to renew the theme of this year. We need to renew our minds and our spirits and our souls and our bodies. We need to renew ourselves to take hold of this rest. Matthew chapter 11, 28. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Our practice for the week is to set aside 24 hours to rest and worship God, to be with your family, to be present, to eat, 
to have no tick box list to accomplish, to connect with God. Do not mix rest or confuse rest with entertainment. They are different. Rest is about connecting with God. Can we stand together?